Why, hello everybody, welcome back. You are listening to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ, Xbox Live Toaster 360. He is Steve, Xbox Live Stevevich. And it's never a dull moment in episode 198 today, November 7th, 2020. We have several interesting items for you today. Gaming news includes Blood Rain Remastered, a new Mass Effect project, Take-Two acquires another studio, and the Medium game gets delayed. Movie news spotlights AMC Financial Trouble, James Bond No Time to Die update, and Warner Brothers fires Johnny Depp from Fantastic Beasts. And our topic of the day is remembering Sean Connery, which you can fast forward to if you look at the timestamps located in your podcast provider below. Uh, Steve, my goodness. I feel like I just saw you and uh, it's like Groundhog Day all over again. The week did go by pretty fast. It did. It blasted by. Which is interesting because the week before that went by pretty slow. About the opposite. It's like time went, ah, that week was slow. Let's uh, put the pedal to the metal. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's like, whoop, here we are again. Yeah, exactly. It's a good thing, though. No, it's, it, it is I, a good thing. I like when the week goes by. I, I, I was productive, too. Mm. A lot happened, right? It was, it was a good week. Well, and I do think that, you know, Halloween came and went. It was a, a lot of fun to have you and Sarah over and... Uh, we all went trick-or-treating. That was a lot of fun. And I th- that was on a Saturday, right? I believe it was Saturday night. Uh, I think it was, yeah. Yeah, so it was nice. It, maybe that helped to shorten the time from the last time we saw each other, which is good. It's very good. Indeed. I always relish <laughs> the opportunity to be able to see my brother. You're right. Same mother. We should have get some condiments for the barbecue later. You're yes. Right. <laughs> Pickle relish is good. <laughs> So uh, what have you been up to lately there, Steve? Yeah, no, uh, we've been watching that Amazon Prime stuff, Russ. You know, one thing that's a bit annoying is you go, oh, have you seen, you know, certain movies? Then you're like, no, let's watch them. And, oh, wait, we have to spend more money to rent it. I actually talked to my uh, wife about that because I remember you made a similar comment a while back. And so I was, I was checking with her and... I actually don't remember what she said. <laughs> Thanks for that contribution. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no, but she, I do remember her saying how there, there, okay, so there are certain things that come with Amazon Prime. It, it's very similar to Netflix in the sense that, that they have certain movies or TV shows that are licensed that, that are in fact free. It comes with Prime. However, there are also additional movies and TV shows that they do not have the licensing rights to at the, you know, whenever point in time it is that you're trying to watch it. However, the cool thing is, is they still have it available to you. You just have to actually rent it or pay for it. So it's actually a pretty cool option because if you think of Netflix, Netflix, to my knowledge up to this point, their model is still the same where like they kind of bring, they, they, they license certain movies and TV shows for a certain period of time. And then when that expires, then those products get temporarily put off the platform and then they usher in this other set of movies, movies and TV shows that are licensed for the next, like, you know, six months or whatever time frame that is that they have. So it's kind of a bummer in the sense because like I know when I used uh, Netflix, I would be looking for a particular movie or whatever, 
and they and they wouldn't have it and it kind of became increasingly more of a problem just because when you first get Netflix, I remember this years ago when I first got Netflix, it was like all this stuff. And I saw that like, you know, more often than not, I was able to actually find lots of, of different shows that I was interested in or hadn't seen in a long time. So I was happy. But then over the course of time, it's like, okay, you kind of go through their library and you, and you start to look for other things. And that's when it began to shift where more often than not, I could not find something that I was looking for because it was just currently out of the licensing window, if you will. So, I mean, Amazon prime is pretty cool in that regard where like, you can in fact still find those things. It's just, yeah, if you want to rent it or buy it, you have to pitch in some, some extra cash. So not a perfect scenario by any stretch. I mean, in a perfect scenario, like you could literally watch anything you wanted and wouldn't be, have some sort of paywall that's there. Right. And that's where we come in. It's like, we don't buy that much stuff on Amazon where it makes sense to, to get Amazon prime and we're a patient and so we will we'll pay the shipping or we'll do whatever, you know, but the main reason we paid for Amazon Prime was to get all this programming. So when they say, OK, here's some programming and they or here's all this programming, like, OK, great. This is what I want to watch. They go, awesome. Pay us a little bit more to rent. You're like, <laughs> you know, that just. Mm. OK, so, I mean, the main reason to leave Netflix, you know, going to Amazon Prime, I kind of had the same thought process. Right. That, you know, I wasn't going to rent. I mean, I can rent everything on Xbox, like Xbox stores. Why would I pay Amazon Prime to do it? Well, and so, I, I think the main issue is messaging. Honestly, I think that's what it is, because I think people like yourself who have migrated from Netflix over to Amazon Prime, you're not used to their model, but but Amazon hasn't done a very good job in clearly communicating, okay, the, like if, if they had on their homepage, watch everything that we have, you know, I don't, I don't know if they're licensing it or whatever, but, but basically say, watch everything in this bucket for free. Anything you don't find in this bucket, you can still watch. Right. You know, whether you want to rent it or buy it for this amount of money. Right. Oh, okay, cool. Now I understand. I I get the model now. And I think that, um, what was the other one you mentioned? It wasn't Netflix. It was... um Microsoft. I can watch oh, everything oh, Xbox. on Microsoft. Yeah. So Xbox also has a very clear messaging, right. right? Where like you go into the Xbox store, your mind is already set psychologically. Like I'm going to the store. I want to buy a movie or I want to rent a movie. Right. You know, so then you don't have that kind of uh, surprise, I guess you could say when, when you, you, your expectations are set and all of a sudden you have this other thing. So hopefully that helps you moving forward when you go on Amazon Prime. You're like, okay, now I know how this system works. Because I was confused about that for a long time too when I was in Amazon Prime. And I was thinking, how, like, I thought I was already paying for the service. Why am I not able to watch? So, yeah. So anyhow, we ended up finding something to watch where uh, I was more my wife picking it out than me. She, She likes these... Iron Man competitions, like these Tough Mudder, you know, Amazing oh, yeah. Race, American Ninja kind of stuff, you know, and and so we, she found this show called like the World's Toughest Race, uh, similar to like the Amazing Race, but this is like the, I mean, the most tough, most betterest, toughestest. Is the race, race in fact amazing, Steve? <laughs> and, well, it was tough. I mean, I, yeah, it was pretty amazing, but it just challenges you with all these like physical stuff. Um, and what the, the funny thing is, is that, hey, it was in Fiji, which we thought was cool. We've always wanted a honeymoon in Fiji. 
of course, we never had money for a honeymoon, but that's beside the point. Anyway, <laughs> at some point, we, we, we definitely want to take our honeymoon and hopefully we can go to uh, Fiji. So um, we were definitely interested in it. And so we watched it. And so the whole week we were just binge watching this, this show. And it was about like 12 episodes or something. And so we've been talking about it every single night. Well, what ads do you think started popping up on my phone? Facebook, right? I'm looking through my Facebook. It's like, ah, tour Fiji. Ever been to Fiji? Here, go to Fiji. Fiji this. Isn't it Fiji apples? I don't know. You're always <laughs> like, listening. Oh, my gosh. I can't stand what I have. I have a running list of everything that, like, I've been, um, like, I'll see a, an advertisement for something I was just talking about. I have a list in my phone. And it's ever growing. Oh, us. well, well, and now that you have repeatedly said Fiji over uh-huh. and over again, now my phone is going to probably most propagate likely, that. Most likely. Most <laughs> likely. Godly. So anyhow, uh, it, it, so that was actually kind of fun. It was an a reality series kind of thing, you know, race and whatnot. And um, so that was cool. But so I actually was asking my wife, I said, okay, what do we, what do you want to watch afterward? We've done with this. What do you want to watch? She's like, I've seen all your movies. <laughs> I've seen them all. I'm like, yeah, I know, but okay, but let's watch, you know, some other stuff again. Like, right? Let's- she needs to get into some gaming. Forget the watching. I well, mean, the watching is all, st- you know, it's all well and good, but you need to, you need to convert her to being a gamer girl. Well, yes. So every once in a while, once in a great while, she'll, she's a big Crash Bandicoot fan. She likes Crash Bandicoot and she likes Mario Kart. So I don't know, maybe for Christmas, we'll might see if we can get her a little Mario Kart. Switch or something. I don't know. Maybe if Santa's really Uh, good. Yes. If she hasn't been too naughty. (laughs) I don't know. Do we have Santa or do we have a naughty? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Define naughty. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I used to have a good understanding of that and now it's a little muddy. The definition's blurred. Maybe Santa likes a little (laughs) naughty. (laughs) Anyhow. Uh, so that's, what's been going on. Uh, I haven't played. Oh, so I was twitching. You know what? We haven't twitched in a while. I've been missing some sea of thieves. We need to get back with I agree. Big baby moose. I really need some sea of thieves. Well, I know that, that this past week you streamed on, uh, our joygasm Twitch channel, the, uh, continuation of your Ghost of Tsushima Quest, Adventures. Which I'm taking my sweet time. I love that game. You I, still have not beat it, have you? No, and I'm glad I haven't. I'm t- I, I am loving every minute of it, Russ. Well, I'm glad I'm glad to hear that, Steve. But yes, I did play some uh, Ghost of uh, Tsushima. You know, one time, every once in a while, when the budget allows, <laughs> I'll have a little glass of sake. <laughs> That's <Tsushima>. awesome. <laughs> That's the way to do and, it. <laughs> Anyway, so man, I just like anyone who you have to get, you have to give that game a whirl. Take a peek at it during Black Friday. Everything is going to be on sale. I would heavily suggest, especially now that since they're doing some like expansion and like, you know, you can do multiplayer kind of stuff. Oh, like, sure. Oh my gosh, it's so worth a whirl. <laughs> Anyhow, um, so that, that's been, oh, you know what I tried? <laughs> I was like, I was feeling some Streets of Rage the other night. You, did you play that game without me? I, well, yes and no. I went on. I, I oh, was, oh, um, for shame. <laughs> so I went on. What I did was, uh, you know what? Actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. So here's what happened is I went through uh, the <laughs> the Game Pass because every once in a while they'll put new stuff on there. Yeah. Did you know Full Throttle is on Game Pass? 
Yeah. We talked about it on the show. I, where was I? Well, you never listened <laughs> to me. Maybe, okay, maybe I, I have just been overwhelmed with other junk, but <laughs> I, I, to me, I saw that and went, <gasps> thank you, Double Fine Productions. Oh my goodness. Well, no, that, the, that's uh, LucasArts still. I know, but while Double Fine is still listed in the credits. Like, it's like, it they, they it right put there. Double Fine? Sure did. That is surprising because um, I know Tim Schaefer was kind of the brainchild behind Full Throttle, but he's in the it credits. Was, it, well, yeah, he's in the credits, but Double Fine was his studio that he founded way after LucasArts. But you said that that it says Double Fine on there. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it says Lucas. Don't get me wrong. It still says LucasArts, but it, it, Double Fine is in the credits for sure. So anyhow, um, I I started downloading that. And I thought, well, what am I going to do? I was just downloading. Oh, play all Streets of Rage. Why not? Nobody is playing Streets of Rage like online. <laughs> I creating a game. I was like, okay, I hear the birds chirping and the crickets cricketing, and like, am I the only one on here? And you know, because you can play the game single player. Sure. But you can also like create an online game and wait for other people to join you. Yeah, that's not happening with anymore. Uh, At least that wasn't happening that night. So. Well, the game itself doesn't really have a high replayability to it. True. Like, it is the type of game where, like, like in your instance, for instance, yeah. you're in the mood to play it. It's one of those, those types of games. And I think that since it came out, I think that everyone has beaten the, or most uh, folks have beaten the, the game. And so there's not like a huge reason to come back to it right at this moment. But th that's besides the point, Steve. That is besides yeah. the point. So Because I want to know why you didn't contact me. Because um, I would have been like, absolutely. I'm sorry. Let me put on my brass knuckles. I'm sorry. My I, faded acid wash I, denim jeans. I was only planning on doing like one level. I didn't know how long Full Throttle was going to take to download. And it actually didn't take that long at all. So I was only planning on playing like a little bit and then going back to Full Throttle. Full Throttle is probably like a 50 meg yeah. game, you know. <laughs> it, they, it's full screen. It's not even in like four by three. It's like 16 by nine. It's full screen. Yeah. Uh, the animation is still like exactly the way it was, but that's a, I don't know. I kind of glad it is. Um, I've forgotten. And there's certain parts of that game I've never forgot about. And then there are other parts where I'm like, what the, what the crap do I do here? Like, what in the world? <laughs> So anyhow, um, I, I've just got to the part where I'm looking for like the, uh, the cave fish biker gang people. I don't know, which is like very much in the beginning. I'm glad that you're playing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's That's a it's classic. Awesome. Yeah. No, it's great. The humor is still funny too. The humor hasn't gone it, like, it, it's not like old humor. It's still funny. Like I'm still laughing at it. So anyway, definitely worth, a, a, worth the while. Nice. Anything else? That'll be it, Russ. So I, just before we started recording this program, led you down to my office to show you my latest addition to my pop culture statue collection. And in this instance, it is the Sideshow Collectibles fourth scale premium format, uh, Rogue Maquette. Now, I actually had received the maquette a while back, and... It was a different version of it, and it, had, it was riddled with, like, all kinds of issues. I mean, the sloppy paint job and little uh, dents and, and chips to the, the sculpt. And, I mean, even the, the, the X-Men patch on, on her leather jacket was, like, halfway coming off. I mean, it was just, whoo, man, that thing was not looking good. So, uh, to Sideshow's credit, they ended up actually being very uh, expedient in terms of 
having the uh, the faulty one returned and sending me out a replacement and the new one uh, in my opinion just looks terrific it's it, maybe like one or two small little um, issues with it but overall a night and day difference from the first one and I'm really excited because I had seen this particular statue at San Diego Comic-Con and it was immediately impressed I was like wow that is like the the de facto rogue type of, of, of statue or, or I should say like approach to the rogue character that I think looks absolutely phenomenal. At the time I wasn't willing to get it because the price was like ridiculous. Like, like sideshow keeps increasing their prices. I don't know how they're going to be able to continue doing that. But at first I wrote it off thinking, well, well it, it's the prototype anyway, looks amazing. And, and just so you know, Steve, the exclusive version of the statue actually had two portraits. The other portrait that I, I just had the regular version, but the, the exclusive portrait is like the nineties version of her hairstyle. So like, you know, it has more of that kind of poofy hair with the green headband and stuff. It looks great. But like I was saying, I at the time was like unwilling to purchase it. I'm like, no, I'm not going to spend that much money. Well, it just so happens that due to the other purchases I have made leading up to that point, Sideshow always gives these reward points, basically, after every purchase you make. And so what's nice is I had accumulated enough where I could actually offset the cost of the statue so that I would actually be paying what I would normally be paying several years ago. So it's like, okay, I can I can stomach that because I would like to own it because I think it's, it, again, it's just a, this amazing statue. For those who haven't seen it, they have this kind of theme where it's essentially like a danger room theme. So the base of the statue is like the, the danger room floor. And if you read the X-Men comics, it has the, um, like one of those like robotic cyborg saw blades that are coming out from the floor as part of the training that um, Xavier puts all the X-Men through to make sure their skills are sharp. And the, the statue pose is, that, is very dynamic in the sense that Rogue is flying. She's grabbed a hold of this huge cyborg arm with the, the, the saw blade at the end of it, and she's ripping it out of the danger room floor. So it has this very frozen in time snapshot of this action taking place. Really, really neat, especially when you think of the engineering behind the statue, because they have to counterbalance with the weight of the way how, how Rogue looks like she's in the, in the middle of flying with like, like the, the robot arm and everything else. So really, really cool, not only from an artistic standpoint, but from an engineering standpoint as well. And it's mixed media. So you have her leather jacket, which actually is fabric. It's probably some sort of like faux leather or something like that, <laughs> but it helps to, to pleather. Yeah. It helps to create more of a sense of realism and depth to the overall statue and, and her outfit, like her, her, her uniform is based off of Jim Lee's uh, redesigns from the early nineties. So it has that really neat green and yellow look to it. I just think it's it's fantastic. What do you think of it, Steve? Uh, it's it's beautiful, Russ. I, I think I made the comment, which I'm going to stick by. You have these beautiful statues with from Sideshow and everybody else. Prime One Studio, Prime Iron One, Studios, blah blah blah, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. They're all these brown basic cardboard boxes. <laughs> like, oh, I got so much stuff. It looks cool once you actually take the tape off and on the back <laughs> it. I'm like, that's great, Russ. And I just take it for a grain of salt because I know 
They're just gonna sit in that that room forever until you get a bug up your armpit, and then you go, oh, "I should open this box up," <laughs> and then you're like, "Oh, look at this! Look at this!" I'm like, "Great! You had it for eight years. Finally, bring it out of the box. You like it?" <laughs> and then it's gonna go back in the box, never gonna see it again. So. The main problem that I have is I don't have anywhere to display them. Like I need to actually figure out like how to create these pedestal type of situations because I I don't want to just put them on like, I don't know, a kitchen table, right? Like you you need to have like a proper setup so that it looks good. And and I just, I need to be able to have time Hmm. to be able to do that. I thought of that before you uh, bought the statues. Well, see the problem though is that they're (laughs) because they're collector's items, they get sold out. They Uh, sell out really fast. So like, like for instance, that one time we went to the Dallas Comic-Con and you and, and uh, Leslie were helping me with my Prime, uh, well, my Optimus Prime and Megatron statues. Those things are huge. So again, the, it was fantastic to get uh, the autograph of, of uh, Peter Collins and um, Frank Welker on there since they were the voices of Optimus Prime and Megatron. But those, those statues are so big. Like I, I really need to have um, a methodical approach to how I'm going to be able to display these things because they, they take up a lot of space. And um, those statues, Optimus Prime in particular, that one sold out in, I think, less than 24 hours of it going up for pre-order. You got a Bumblebee too, didn't you? Or did I you? sure do. I want to see that. <laughs> I've got a lot of... Really fun statue, Steve. And someday, uh, hopefully not in the not too distant future, I'll be able to to show you all of them because I, I have a ton of really cool statues. It's really fun. Uh, in addition to that, I started to watch The Mandalorian season two on ah, Disney Plus. I knew that came out recently, yeah. Yeah, so I watched the first two episodes. It's nice to be back in watching that again. The first episode was okay. There were some things about it that I thought were kind of hokey. Like, um, I think I mentioned this when we were talking in depth about the the video game Star Wars Squadrons, where um, one of the nitpicks I have on the game is how you have these different alien species speaking English and not just English, but like perfect English. <laughs> Matter and, of fact, like old English, like, man, yeah. those are a long, very good words. No one uses anymore. Like, Where'd you like learn that? Proper English. <laughs> it's amazing. You're very astute. Oh, really? Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah. You why, have, why do you have a British accent? Like, I don't get it. You have that word and that language where you come from. That's great. Yeah. And again, I, I think it's perfectly fine if like you have like an alien species who has learned the English language to a certain extent, but then they have to have some kind of accent or like, I don't know, like, like a, a conversational flow. Like if you think of, of any culture in the world, you know, they, they can learn to speak the English language, but you're going to have a heavy accent associated with it. And also the way that they kind of conjugate the verbs and pronouns and everything together, you know, it's depending on, on who they are, it could be kind of stilted or, or maybe they're not correctly put together. But anyway, I just wish that more, um, thought was put into that when it came to Star Wars Squadrons. Well, the same thing can be said for the Mandalorian in the sense that you have certain aliens that look really cool. Like, like they have like a really neat look, but then you hear them speak. And like, I kid you not, like, like, and this is not a spoiler, but like at one point the Mandalorian walks into one of the, the Tatooine uh, bars. It's not the same one as from <laughs> a new hope, 
<laughs> yeah. But like <laughs> they're still playing that song. You see the bartender who is some sort of other alien species. I kid you not. Not only was he speaking English, he was speaking with like kind of like a country western accent. And I'm like, oh, no, don't do that. Don't yeah. do that. Hey, y'all. What can I do you for? I mean, it, it was almost to that level. And then um, you have another character that I, I won't spoil because it's too new, but there is a prominent uh, guest character uh, that comes in for this um, first episode of season two. And he has even more. I mean, it, it, he's not only talking with kind of like that Southern drawl, but then he also like the way he's kind of walking around. He looks like a cowboy. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, you, 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 you can't, you can't do that. You, 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 you just need to. <sighs> so having said that though, it was a lot of fun to get back into it. The, the episode did finish strong. I was really happy with how the episode ended. And then I watched episode two and episode two was great. So anyway, really happy that The Mandalorian is back. I feel as though I have something to watch again that I've been looking forward to for some time, especially considering the fact that we haven't had any movies to watch at the theater for 2020. It breaks my heart. I miss the theater. I love the theater. I, I wish I could get like a big thing of buttered, salted popcorn along with some peanut M&Ms. And a Coke to wash. Uh, I can't do soda anymore. I just can't. I have also been making more progress in Final Fantasy VII Remake. I made it to the top of that tower I described to you right. last week. And yes, there is a boss fight. I almost beat them. The AI did some sort of extremely cheap move, took me out in one fell swoop. And so I stopped playing it. And you just took the disc <laughs> out and you snapped the disc in half and threw it out the window. No, no. Okay, yeah. No, no. I, but, but again, Sounds about right. this game has this pattern to it where I'm having fun playing the game and then... It's like the the game designers said we we, we got to try and figure out a way to make it longer. I know. Let's put in an algorithm that just basically puts up a get good barrier. And yeah, uh, that's that, that's very true. That's what I've basically learned with most RPGs. I'm like, you know what? Forget this. I'm just gonna like fight everybody I can, get as strong as I can, and then therefore I have a better shot of of killing the the main boss when it, when it gets to there. I actually remember when you did when you played the original Final Fantasy VII for PlayStation One, and you did that. Like you, right. I I was blown away at your commitment of just literally you you weren't even trying to to get through the story. You were just going out and looking for battles because yeah. by the time you got to the end boss, you were so. I don't know if you were necessarily like overpowered, uh, but like you were deaf. I mean, I think you pretty much maxed out. Yeah, I did all yes. your characters. Yes. I maxed out all my characters, every little spell I could do. And by the time I got to the enemy, it took me five minutes to like obliterate him. I'm like, yeah, all right. He was stronger now. <laughs> Well, let's get into some gaming news. First on the list is Blood Rain 1 and 2 are getting PC remasters in November 2020. Did you ever play Blood Rain? I played or, it like once. Or did you just watch me? I think you just I, watched I me. I mostly just watched you. I literally like played it once. Okay. <laughs> I actually um, have been a big Blood Rain fan. I, those are actually some of my favorite titles for, I think they came up for the original Xbox. It was like, I know the first one was for the original Xbox. The second one may have been for Xbox 360. 
but um, Ziggurat Interactive has announced that enhanced versions of both Blood Rain and Blood Rain 2 will be released on Steam and GOG on November 20th of 2020. These games will receive support for higher display resolutions up to 4K um, upscaled cinematic videos, support for modern game pads, improved rendering with up to four times anti-aliasing, support for higher texture res resolutions, allowing for use of original uncompressed textures and more. So I am very excited about that. I'm curious to know if they will decide to make it available for Game Pass because at this point it is not. This sounds like it's kind of a PC only thing right now. Regardless, if it does end up being kind of a PC only thing, I'm going to get it for PC because that would be fantastic to be able to replay through that. That had some really fun gameplay. And if you recall, it's like that, you know, the Blood Rain is um, this this like half vampire, half human redheaded woman who has all kinds of uh, crazy moves. And she had those huge blades on her her arms. If you recall, that, that was her main melee weapon. But she it took place, I think, back in like the 1930s or 40s during the Nazi regime. And she was taking out a bunch of uh evil naughty nazis and uh it was it was just a really stylish game really really cool uh I, I thought it was enjoyable i was actually surprised that they didn't continue with that series because i would have loved to have seen a next gen version of that game and i hope honestly be seeing as how they are doing these remasters i do hope that they make a return to that franchise because i think that another blood rain title for xbox uh, series x or ps5 Man, that would be, I think, a, a graphics tour de force. I think that would be really, really cool. So, going on from there to a new Mass Effect project is in development at BioWare with a quote veteran team. So, this was announced on In Seven Day alongside the news that the long awaited Mass Effect Legendary Edition will arrive in 2021. We'll get to that in just a minute. This new game will feature a veteran team from BioWare and will be the next chapter of the Mass Effect universe. So I guess this is, in fact, the official next installment. As we can all recall from Mass Effect Andromeda, I didn't even buy the game because I could tell it, it did not stand up to the quality of at least Mass Effect 1 and 2. So I hope that they are able to, to get through this. But it says, while this project may be far away, the Mass Effect Legendary Edition will be arriving on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC in spring of 2021. It will also have forward compatibility and targeted enhancements on Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5. The Mass Effect Legendary Edition gathers together all the single-player base content and DLC from Mass Effect, Mass Effect 2, and Mass Effect 3, and all promo weapons, armors, packs, all remastered, and optimized for 4K Ultra HD. So that might be one to pick up. It's gonna be interesting to see. I'm kind of on the fence just because those games, I mean, especially like Mass Effect 1 and 2 are some of my favorite games of all time, but at the same time, <laughs> most how I did that, um, I think, especially when it comes to Mass Effect 1, the graphics engine was so dated, or I should say is so dated, that I think that we're, even though they're making these enhancements and stuff, it's still going to kind of look dated, which, I mean, it wouldn't necessarily stop me from playing it. I mean, yeah. I, I think going into the game, it's like, okay, I know this is this is what it is. The the thing that would bring me back to it is that the, the, the gameplay was a lot of fun. 
and the story was awesome. Just remaster. I mean, well, I say just. I mean, that's a lot of work. But, I mean, if everyone, if your core audience is going, yeah, Mass Effect 1, Mass Effect 2, and you just go, eh, we could remaster it and charge everybody 60 bucks all over again because they would all love it and buy it. <laughs> but we're not going to do that. You know, we're just going <laughs> to continue the story. Like, you know, I mean, we've seen the success of Final Fantasy. And why not? Well, okay, so, and, and I think you bring up a good comparison because Final Fantasy VII Remake, that was literally a remake of the game from the ground up. I don't think that's what this is. I think this, because it's EA, this smells of just doing kind of the up res type of thing, you even, know? Even but I mean, so. that could still be a good thing. 343 did it with uh, Halo Classic Edition. Master right. Chief Edition. I mean, that, and that was awesome. I mean, yes, it, it still looked like, since they did it so early on, it didn't push this system to its limits, but if you compare Halo 1 for the regular Xbox, and then we see it now, it is a night and day difference, and it's a lot of fun to go all the way back through. Today. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So we'll, we'll keep a, we'll keep it on our radar for sure and, and uh, see what it looks like. Take Two Interactive confirms interest in acquiring Codemasters. IGN reports that in a press release, Take Two announced their intentions to acquire the entire share capital of Codemasters. According to the press release, the board of Codemasters intends to recommend to shareholders to accept Take Two's offer. I have always been a fan of Codemasters. I think they've been a very talented group. And um, they, they're the ones who actually make the Dirt series, which I'm a big fan of. It's that, that uh, rally style of game. Um, and I think Dirt 5, did Dirt 5 get released yet or not? It's, it either just did or it hasn't quite yet. I don't, I don't think so. I think it's just still Dirt 4. Maybe Dirt 5 is going to be coming out um, at the end of this year or maybe in the 2021. But um, anyway, I've I've followed that, that series um, through just about every incarnation and I'm a big fan of that. So it's it's if it goes through, congratulations to Take 2. I think that's a, a, a really great acquisition, but figured it would be worth mentioning since we are currently in this state of having various publishers uh, continue to acquire uh, lots and lots of studios. So interesting indeed. And finally, the medium delayed to January of 2021. So if you recall Steve, the medium was that game for Xbox Series X that has the, the female protagonist and it looks like kind of a detective-ish type of game, but like she's able to go between the real world and some like dimensional world right. that, that alters the, the environment that she's in. It has been delayed to January 28th of 2021 due to COVID-19 and most likely Cyberpunk 2077's new release date. Because if you recall, Cyberpunk got slightly delayed into December. So it sounds like the medium was going to be coming out probably in December because Cyberpunk 2077 was going to come out in November. So it seems like there's kind of a shuffling going on here. Um, and uh, with my notes, it says the game was originally due to be released on Xbox Series X, S, and PC on December 10th. Announced on Twitter, the delay, um, of course, so like I said, is, that is due to COVID-19-related production issues and the current schedule of other titles on the market. So again, I think they're, they're referring to Cyberpunk 2077. Not a huge deal. Uh, I still look forward to picking it up. And with all of the other craziness and nuttiness going on in 2020, I'm just... 
You know, uh, I think I'm getting calloused, <laughs> Steve. I, I really do uh, think I'm. I will no longer be surprised about anything. If there was, was like a big rift yeah. that would open up in the sky and we would have uh, Loki come through, yeah. I'd be like, whatever. Yeah, really, like, oh man, those weren't just fiction, and it's the truth. <laughs> Doesn't surprise me anymore, Steve. Nothing yeah. is. Like, yep, that's expected. If yep. they if they if they were talking about how they have spotted a huge asteroid that was coming toward Earth. And it was going to hit us right on New Year's Eve. I'd be like, that's supposed to surprise me. And Bigfoot was the reporter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the Loch Ness Monster yeah. was... Uh, His pet. Yeah, yeah exactly. His steed. <laughs> <laughs> Switching over to movie news. AMC seeks stock sale to raise $50 million to stave off bankruptcy. This story, when I saw it, has me concerned. Um, it plays right into what our topic of the day was last week um, in our episode where, where we talk about um, whether or not Disney parks will be able to survive. And, and part of what we talked about is how part of, of Disney's um, vehicle for making money is the movie business, right? This, so this is, this is kind of another wrinkle in, in that narrative, but um, AMC is looking to sell up to 20 million Class A shares to secure nearly $50 million in new capital. The world's largest cinema chain, which has been slammed by the coronavirus pandemic, is set to report quarterly earnings Monday afternoon. Last month, it warned investors that its dwindling cash pile could push it to file for, for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Shares of the company, the world's largest cinema chain, fell nearly 7% in early trading on this past Monday. The company is set to report corny earnings, yada, yada, yada. Um, but the filing itself is just the latest fundraising attempt by AMC. Like others in the industry, the company has been slammed by the coronavirus. Um, first, it was forced to shutter hundreds of theaters, and then after reopening, saw customers stay home and major Hollywood blockbusters delay their openings. So this is, I mean, in terms of pop culture news, this is a really big deal because the big three movie chains are AMC, Cinemark, and Regal. Regal has already shut down. So that leaves AMC and Cinemark. AMC is now going through this motion to try and raise capital because people simply aren't going to the theaters. I, and again, the reason why I brought up our previous topic of the day from last week's episode is there's only so much money in their cash reserves that these companies have, whether it's Disney or it's AMC or whatever. The longer that this stuff persists, the harder it's going to be for these companies to survive. And once again, it's a domino effect. Because if you have, for instance, big theater chains like AMC filing for bankruptcy, Cinemark is probably not that far behind either, then how is Disney going to be able to get their cash from the movies? Now, they do have Disney Plus, like we talked about, and they could probably use that as a safety net. But again, this is impacting several different industries that kind of have this symbiotic relationship. What happens to one affects the other. So what are your thoughts on that? I would say that they would have to look for alternate methods to still stay in business. Like, for example... You talking about AMC or... The theater business in general. Regardless if it's AMC or Regal, you know, whoever it is. I'm 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 going back again to... They, we, they can stream the service. They can make a application that 
everybody would want to get that could get the movie, regardless if it's from Disney or it's from Fox or you know, who cares. And they could use that to stream it right into their home and they would have to, of course, pay the fee for the movie. And maybe they would even allow people to pause the movie as well. They don't have like, you have to watch the movie at six o'clock. No, you can watch it whenever you want. And yes, the ticket's gonna be a little more expensive because instead of buying one ticket each, you, you could like buy one ticket and like everybody in the neighborhood will come over and watch it in your house. Like who knows? But so yes, maybe it would, it would be more expensive. There would be no health risks. You could pause the movie. You, you have plenty of time in your day to, to watch it. Bathroom breaks, no problem. I mean, yes, it could cure a lot of what people find annoying. No parking problems. Ah. <laughs> so, I mean, yes, there where there is a will, there is a way. Yes, the, the brick and mortar walk into a movie theater, have the awesome sound system, the large screen. Yes, that experience might have to be put off for a while. But if you're waiting for a virus to go away and just like holding on to your money versus finding an alternate method to stay in business, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just think that they're putting off the inevitable, not of them going out of business, but we the technology is there. And I would say utilize it. Well, and I think that that's an interesting point in the sense that traditionally speaking, these movie theater chains, their their whole business model is is designed around brick and mortar locations where people go in and they enjoy the big screen, the, the awesome sound system, and being with their friends and family, enjoying in this this moment of entertainment. And I think it could wind up being the situation like Blockbuster, where if you recall, Blockbuster was king uh, back in the 90s and they refused to adapt to this online model that was starting to take shape, where the notion of being able to stream movies online and um, you know that, that allowed companies like Netflix to really flourish and Blockbuster went the way of the dinosaur. And I think in this type of situation, I think that there is a chance that they might be able to set something up like that. But the problem is, is that that takes a lot of ramp up time in the sense that you've got to actually design the platform from scratch. You've got to market and advertise that. And especially when you have entities like AMC and Cinemark who for decades and decades have branded themselves as your movie theater location, right? You want to go see a movie, you go there. Yeah, I, I don't know if they have the time to be able to, to go into that, but at the same time, if um, you know, the, the, the situation continues into next year, it's not going to matter because they're going to run out of money. So it'll be interesting to, to follow the story. Hopefully that doesn't happen because we both love going to the theater. Like I was even talking to a friend earlier today about how much I miss just going to a physical location. I like going into a grand theater and sitting down and having my little snacks and having that that uh, air of excitement before a highly anticipated film begins and being able to talk about it as you walk out and, and being told a good story. Like you just don't get that in the comfort of your home. In your home, yeah, you have certain qualities about that as well, but. I really hope that, that they're able to pull through. Next story we have on the list is that Lashana Lynch is confirmed as the new 007 in No Time to Die. It's official. We have a new 007, and she is making history as the first black woman to take up the mantle in the James Bond universe. So Lashana Lynch will be playing the new 007 in the upcoming film that's been delayed. 
uh, called No Time to Die. No Time to Die! Now, she was uh, known for her role in Captain Marvel, um, and she will indeed be the first ever female 007. But to be clear, this does not mean that her character uh, Nomi will be the new James Bond. No Time to Die will open with Bond in retirement. Um, and the interview piece where, where this stuff came from clarifies that Nomi is the secret agent who inherits the 007 title while Bond himself is in exile. So again, this says to me that, that she's not going to be like the new quote unquote James Bond moving forward after Daniel Craig. It's just that in this film, um, the story, I guess, starts out where because Bond is in exile, she has taken on the mantle of 007. And then we see how that plays out because Bond, of course, will be brought back into the fold due to something that needs his ex expertise. And uh, there will probably be, probably be conflict in terms of, um, you know, the two characters. I, I'm, I'm going to go on a limb. I'm going to say at first there's going to be conflict because the two of them uh, are at odds with each other and then they have some common ground and they're able to triumph over evil. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I'm 007. No, I'm 007. No, <laughs> I'm no. No, you're 007.1. No. no. <laughs> My number. And finally, Johnny Depp drops out of Fantastic Beast franchise following allegations. IGN reports that Johnny Depp, who has played Grindelwald in the uh, the first two Fantastic Beasts films, has officially resigned from his role for any future installments following ongoing abuse allegations between he and actress Amber Heard. And a recent uh, libel case uh, Depp has against the Sun newspaper. Warner Brothers has announced the role of Grindelwald to be recast. A libel case? Is it libel or libel? Libel. Okay, let's go with libel. Uh, the announcement came from Depp himself in a personal letter on Instagram where he said, quote, I have been asked to resign by Warner Brothers from my role as Grindelwald in Fantastic Beasts, and I have respected and agreed to that request. Johnny Depp has had a rough year, man. <laughs> and, and I would say it's not even only this year. I think it was rough in 2019 as well. But my goodness, man, like my heart just goes out to the man because I'm a big fan of his. I, I love the, the various roles that he has been in. I think he's a very talented artist. I think he's an interesting human being. Was it what I think I pick up on it in this type of situation is that he, you know, he's always been kind of like, you know, uh, his his image has always been kind of the quote unquote bad boy, you know, the bad boy image of the 90s. Right. And you had a number of male actors who had that and it just worked for the time, because especially in the early 90s, you had kind of like that goth grunge kind of uh, trend that was really popular for its heyday. And then going into it, like you just you had kind of the bad boys of Hollywood and you can tell like like. These were the kind of guys that if you had a, uh, your daughter bring him home to introduce to uh, you and, and your spouse, how you'd be horrified because you're like, oh, no. But at the same time, it was just really cool. You know, it was cool to be the bad boy because he was like kind of the anti-hero type of situation. It's weird now how that has changed a bit where, you know, Johnny Depp himself, I believe he's probably in his 50s. He's, I think he's in his late 50s. So 
I don't know if if it's kind of a, an age thing where like, you know, when you're a teenager or you're in your 20s or even your 30s, how you can get away with that bad boy image. But then once you reach a certain age, as you get older, maybe it doesn't look as good or something. I'm not exactly sure, but I also think it's not limited to that. I think that, um, man, I, I have never gone through divorce, but I think that that is never something that people look forward to. It's not like, oh boy, I get to go through this, you know, and I think Most litigation, especially makes me feel great. What, <laughs> especially <laughs> as high profile as his is, because it, I mean, the, the public is basically getting all the, or most of the information in what normally would be a private affair. And so, man, I, I just, I, I wish him the best. And I hope he's able to, to, to pull through and, and kind of move forward and, and be able to continue doing what he loves to do, which is making movies. And it's interesting to me how you have studios like Warner Brothers who have seen that become more of a liability. And whereas in the past, I mean, there's all kinds of things that have gone on and movie studios really didn't get involved with recasting and that sort of thing. So do you have any thoughts on that, Steve? No, I, it, it's, it's, it's hard. It's really difficult. Um, I, I remember so, something being said about him when he did the last Pirates of the Caribbean. And that movie was, it kind of got a so-so rating and then it turned out he was going through a bunch of stuff. And so I think this has been happening for some time. He's trying to keep the, everything, you know, his personal life separate and still keep on that movie career. But I mean, it, this is a big deal. You know, sometimes your personal stuff kind of overtakes your 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 work and you have to take time off to deal with it and everything else to be has to be put on hold so just unfortunate it's a terrible situation all the way around If you want a martini shaken or stirred, it must be the topic of the day! Our topic of the day is remembering. The late, great Sean Connery. This was a bombshell of a news article that came out earlier this week where um, Sean Connery passed away at the age of 90 years old. And I think the first thing that should be said is that Sean Connery was a staple of our family ever since we were kids. And, an, and a staple of comedians impressing him because he, I mean, impersonating, was, 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 impersonating <laughs> their impersonations were impressive. Yes, they were. So Steve, I figured I would kick it over to you. Oh, thanks Russ. L please tell our listeners about what kind of thoughts, memories, reactions you have about Sean Connery. You know, I have to start with this. Um, I read that, Sean Connery was Peter Jackson's first pick for Gandalf in yes. Lord of the Rings. And I would thought, as much as I love Sean Connery, 
I don't know if I could see Sean Connery um, <laughs> yelling, you shall not pass. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it, but I, but Peter Jackson gave him the script and Sean Connery wasn't a very big Tolkien fan. He goes, I don't understand the character. I don't understand the story. I really don't understand what's going on. I think I'll pass. Yeah. <laughs> and so he passed off and it went to uh, uh, Ian. Yep. Sir Ian. Exactly. And so uh, anyhow, which I think probably was the better choice. But, you know, it, it, I haven't seen a whole lot of Sean Connery films as of late, which I'm surprised as he was aging, he didn't continue his movie career. I think there was plenty of roles still for Sean Connery. Plenty of acting, plenty of life. Well, he may have gotten... Um he probably got a little tired of, of the Hollywood oh, scene I'm, as he I'm got sure older. He got, yeah, I'm sure he got tired and once kind of wanted to kind of live out his, his days. But either way, when, when we see older actors on screen, like it's a pleasure to see them still act and they still have like a lot of talent left. I mean, they have a lot of years of doing the same thing. I mean, they could really act on screen. It's awesome to still see these actors. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I just haven't seen him on screen, but I remember seeing him like he would always attend like the Oscars and then movie awards. I'm like, that's Jack Connery. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and he, he, I mean, he, Yes, he was getting older, but it's almost like you couldn't really tell. I think because like maybe he grayed early, and so like he always had like this gray beard. So he like no, you never one ever knew like his real age unless you had like Wikipedia or something yeah. because he never really aged. He got to a certain point, never looked any older. But um, no, I I uh, I I last saw him. We my wife and I watched Robin Hood again when he was at the end of the movie West King Richard, and I'm mm. like, she's like, who's that? I'm like, you're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I actually have um, a number of different posts from celebrities who found out that he passed. Um, and I think it, there, there's a lot of great stuff in here that I wanted to share with everybody. So um, Harrison Ford, who starred opposite of Sir Sean Connery in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, um, made, made a statement. Um, he said, he was my father, not in life. But in Indy 3 um, that, that he he provided to the Hollywood Reporter, and he continued on, he says, um, you don't know pleasure until someone pays you to take Sean Connery for a ride in the sidecar of a Russian motorcycle <laughs> yeah. bouncing along a bumpy, twisted, uh, or excuse me, twisty mountain trail and getting to watch him squirm. He said, God, we had fun. If he's in heaven, I hope they have golf courses. Rest in peace, dear friend. Uh, I thought that was a, a, a nice anecdote that, that Harrison Ford gave. Um, in addition to that, the official James Bond Twitter account released Craig's, um, or excuse me, um, well, that they released Daniel Craig's words, which were, quote, it is with such sadness that I heard of the passing of one of the true greats of cinema, um, which I thought was really cool. Um, and even Roger Moore, um, was saying how infinitely sad to hear the news Sir Sean Connery has passed away. He and Roger were friends for many decades, and Roger always maintained Sean was the best ever James Bond. Rest in peace. Of course, um, that that's just the the Roger Moore legacy speaking on his behalf, because I, I believe he has also passed away. But uh, former Bond Pierce Brosnan wrote on Instagram, quote, Sir Sean Connery, you were my greatest James Bond as a boy and as a man who became James Bond himself. 
You cast a long shadow of cinematic splendor that will live on forever. You led the way for us all who followed in your iconic footsteps. George Lucas, who collaborated with, with Connery for Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade, released a statement online as well, stating, quote, sure, uh, sure, I started sounding like Sean Connery. <laughs> Sir Sean Connery, through his talent and drive, left an indelible mark in cinematic history. His audiences span generations, each with favorite roles he played. He will always hold a special place in my heart as Indy's dad. With an air of intelligent authority and sly sense of comedic mischief, only someone like Sean Connery could render Indiana Jones immediately into boyish regret or relief through a stern fatherly chiding or rejoiceful hug. I'm thankful for having had the good fortune to have known and worked with him. My thoughts are with his family, end quote. I thought that was a nice stand by old George. Uh, Speaking of filmmakers, Michael Bay. I was just going to say Michael Bay. I haven't seen anything from him yet. Who directed Connery in The Rock. The Rock. Welcome to The Rock. What is a great film. Penned a tribute for The Hollywood Reporter saying, uh, quote, he was a legend. We all have a few teachers in our careers. The ones that imprint something special on your being. Teachers that you haven't seen in 20 years, but you still remember their wisdom like yesterday. Sean Connery was one of those for me. Loses always whine about that best. <laughs> you are correct. In a statement to People magazine, Connery's The Rock co-star, Nicolas Cage, said, quote, I was happiest when I was working with him. His wisdom, humbleness, and extreme honesty has guided me ever since I met him. He was my friend and greatest teacher in cinema. The first movie star to lead the way to combining drama, action, adventure, and comedy. He did it all effortlessly and with dignity. Maestro, you will be missed. Alec Baldwin, who starred opposite of Connery in The Hunt for Red October, took to Instagram for a video where he said, quote, we talk about people in the legend category. Rest in peace, Sean Connery. You made life better. The work you did, the films you made, the experience you gave me, the kindness you showed me. Thanks for that. Even Sam Neill, who auditioned for Bond in the 80s and then acted with Connery in The Hunt for October as well, offered um, this quote where he says, Every day on set with Sean Connery was an uh, object lesson in how to act on screen. But all that charisma and power, that was utterly unique to Sean. Rest in peace, that great man, that great actor. Hugh Jackman who famously turned down the opportunity to audition for Bond as Brosnan's replacement. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Because of not wanting to be in two huge franchises at once, offered up these kind words. Quote, I grew up idolizing Sean Connery, a legend on screen and off. Rest in peace. Um, There there are several others. Uh, Ron Perlman, who I'm a big fan of. I think you are too. You know, remember who Ron, you know, Hellboy yeah, Steve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you had a look of confusion there for a minute. I, I, I'm not the, I mean, I'm not maybe, maybe I'm more of a Ron you Perlman fan. You are way more of a Ron oh, Perlman okay, fan. Okay. I, it's like I'm not a fan, but you know, you appreciate his work a lot more than I do. Uh, he had a quote uh, When you're a poor kid from the lower middle class family in New York and you are going to meet your very first bona fide movie star and he turns out to be bigger and better than anything you could have dreamed. I love you, Sean. Rest well. I thought that was really nice. Kevin Smith, who you are familiar with, uh, quote, he was my dad's James Bond. So dad supported Mr. Connery's career his entire life, always taking me to see 
any movie his fave actor was in. I have sweet memories of watching dad watching his movie idol. So Sean Connery's passing also feels like I'm losing dad again. Rest in peace, Dr. Jones. Uh, Edgar Wright, who is another movie director. He, he did Scott Pilgrim and the, uh, versus the, the world as well as um, Driver. Uh, says, quote, it's something t- for the extraordinary charisma of this Edinburgh lad to have created the most iconic character in film and then rather than be typecast by it, became equally famous for just being Sean Connery, a real screen legend oft uh, imitated by all but never equaled. I thought that was uh, fantastic. And even Arnold Schwarzenegger had something to say, quote, Sean Connery was a legend. <laughs> I'll try and do this with my Sean I'll do my, or my, my Arnold Schwarzenegger voice. Sean Connery was a legend. One of the greatest actors of our time. He provided endless entertainment for all of us and inspiration for me. I'm not just saying that because he was a bodybuilder who placed in the Mr. Universe contest. He was an icon. My thoughts are with his family. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it would sound exactly like that. Yeah, probably not. Uh, there was probably a get to the chopper somewhere in there as well. Uh, but anyway, I thought it was really fun to go through that um, just because whenever you have someone um, of stature who passes in any industry, it's fascinating to be able to see um, who is moved to be able to, to share some words. I thought that was really cool. You know, it, it's, it's funny to me because Sean Connery, of course, his voice was one of our favorite voices to impersonate. I want, did Wesley Snipes say anything about Sean Connery? I have no idea. Because I, honestly, I, I didn't get a chance to look at each and every, I'm sure there are scores of other people who said something. Cause I remember, uh, he was in rising sun with Wesley Snipes. Oh uh, yeah. And that was a good, he was kind of a badass in rising sun. Indeed. Indeed. But yeah, both you and I, Steve, have always had some fun impersonating Mr. Sean, Sir Sean Connery. Do you know yes. Sean Connery was the voice from the very first Dragonheart movie, Russ? Yes, actually. Um, I our, am the last one. Well, okay. Since <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's fun to be able to, to point out some of the movies that, that we really enjoyed him in. Okay. So Dragonheart, Dragonheart was, in fact, I, I think a, a great way to lead off. So Dragonheart. Dragonheart. Awesome. He wasn't actually physically in the movie. He was the voice, the voice of Draco. Of the dragon. Yeah. So um, that was a lot of fun to hear him say, I am the last one. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a strong testament because um, when you hear people who have uh, a, a, that type of, of sound to their voice, I think that, that in some cases people may be like embarrassed about it or, you know, worried people make fun of them before it or whatever. I think it just, despite the fact that it was a very unique sound, it kind of made him even more manly for some did, reason. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, <laughs> you know, what series we haven't watched in a while is the Highlander series. Steve, you're reading my mind. I was just about to say Highlander on my list. But yes, Highlander. <laughs> yeah, we should go car shopping. You're right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, another, just another great film that was, you know, made for Mr. Sean Connery. Yeah. Um, you know, the James Bond movies go without saying 
all of the, I mean, he, as far as I'm concerned, he was the best James Bond there. Yes. There were other, other folks who have taken on the mantle of James Bond and they have done a good job in their own ways. But Sean Connery was the OG and he will forever, in my opinion, be uh, the absolute incarnation of the, the spirit of Bond, James Bond. When it comes to other films that he's been in, though, my goodness. I mean, okay, Hunt for Red October. Hunt for Red October. That was a different type of role for him because he actually played kind of more of the villain-esque type role. If you recall, he was the um, the submarine captain. That's a good movie, by the way. That was a great movie. And that was actually, you know, what was funny about that was... Um, one of the Baldwin brothers, uh, was it Billy Baldwin? I don't remember who it was. Uh, or maybe it was Alec Baldwin. Let me tell you here, Russ. I'm going to look this up. Keep going. Well, anyway, it was interesting because- Alec Harris, Baldwin. Alec yeah, Baldwin, yeah. quick. I don't know what to draw there. Uh, there you go. <laughs> but what I thought was interesting was that later on, you know, Harrison Ford actually took over the the, the character um, that would play in the, 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 kind of the future sequels of the hunt for red October, because that was when you had Patriot games and the, and clear and present danger. The actual name of the, the protagonist escapes me for the moment. But anyway, um, I just think it was interesting just because Sean Connery would later on, um, get to work with Harrison Ford and, and Indiana Jones, but going back to hunt for red October, I thought it was really well done because here you have, um, a Scotsman, playing a Russian captain who wants to defect to the United States. And so it's this crazy kind of cat and mouse type of, of situation. But I feel like, like by the end, by, by, by the time you get to the end of hunt for October, I'm totally accepting the fact that Sean Connery is a, uh, a Russian <laughs> defector. Yeah. So it speaks highly of, of just like his, his, the quality of his acting, but it was, it was one of those types of movies that was really fun in terms of like they, they had a kind of a, a slow burner of a film, right. That kind of exacerbated the, uh, the tension of what's going on and how you had an American spy stowaway that was on the submarine and um, just, yeah, a, a lot of, of uh, really fun moments throughout that movie. Another one he was in uh, that was pretty good action movie. Um, I'm more like a popcorn movie, really, but was Entrapment. So that movie came out later on when he was much older. It starred Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yeah. And, I, you know, that movie, for me personally, it was it was okay. Yeah, but it's, it's a popcorn movie. It's it, it was a fun movie. I don't think it stood on the same level as some of his, his other works. But, I mean, who doesn't like Sean Connery and who doesn't like Catherine Zeta-Jones? Um, so yeah, that, that was fun. I want to go to Indiana Jones and the last crusade. Sure. Russ. Of this course. is, this is probably one of my absolute favorite roles that Sean Connery was in. And not to mention the fact that it's one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. Um, I, what I think is so neat about this is how, Sean Connery for a lot of his roles, especially with like James Bond and, and others where it's much more um, you know, strong, tough, machismo type roles. He played the role of someone who was more of an intellectual and Harrison Ford was much more of the, the, the physical tough and uh, you know, rough and tumble. Let's say it that way. 
type of, of character, which was neat because it, again, it speaks to the, ra- the, the, the range of acting that Connery had, but I thought it was really neat. There were so many different moments in time during that film that, that I think stayed with me as a viewer, like toward the end of Indiana Jones, you know, when, when Indiana almost falls through the chasm and he's trying to, to reach for the goblet, right? Or no, was it the, yeah. Yeah, it was the goblet. It was the the whole like, you know, fountain of youth kind of thing, right? The, the cup of Christ. And Sean Connery is holding on to him with one hand. And for the first time, you know, throughout the whole movie, he's he's calling Harrison Ford's character Junior. Junior! Junior! And in, in that, that scene, the first time you hear him say, Indiana, Indiana. And it, and it, it causes um, Indy to all of a sudden stop obsessing over the cup of Christ. And he looks back at his dad and Sean had the best look on his face. And he just said, let it go. <laughs> and it was just, like, you had several scenes like that or like, I just this, got goosebumps by the way, you know, the, the scene <laughs> where, um, uh, like he's tied up with, with Indiana Jones and, uh, there's a, a fire that that's, that's brewing. Cause, cause they, <laughs> it was actually started by them. Cause he, he reached into Indy's pocket for his match to try and burn off the, the, what do you call it? Like the, the rope that's tying them together. And that whole situation where he's trying to blow out the flame on the, on the rug. And then all of a sudden it like catches fire. And, and, um, I love it when he's, when Indy's trying to get, uh, Sean, or I should say his dad, his attention goes, dad, what dad, what dad, what, you know, like it's that, that yeah. kind of <laughs> sense of urgent urgency and humor in there. Um, I could, I could really talk for a long time about that particular film. Uh, what did you think of, of his role in Indiana Jones and last crusade? Yeah. I, you know, that, that was the first time I saw Sean Connery's like a very iconic dad role. Um, you know, and, and, I saw Harrison Ford as is the, the adventurous type, the mischief, mischievous type, um, and almost like the the brute type. And Sean Connery was the mentor, and didn't have to be brutish to get things done. More than a negotiator. There's that scene where uh, you know there's the planes are about to shoot them out of that little the motorcycle they were driving, and. Sean Connery has the idea of, oh, let me just shoot up a bunch of birds and they're going to like, you know, take this airplane down. And Indiana doesn't even know that. Indiana's more like, you know, punch you in the face, ask questions later sort of thing. Which, by the way, Indiana Jones still to this day has the best sounding punches. Yeah, that's where we got the the sound. It's a whole like, yeah. That's that's how you know it was a really hard punch. Both both his gunshots (laughs) and his punches, man. <laughs> and so, anyhow, I, I remember that scene where he uh, shoot up all the birds, and they, uh, you know, the birds hit the the planes, and then the planes, you know, crash down. And yeah, I forgot actually what he says, but he's walking along the beach with his umbrella that he couldn't let go. I remember my shooter queen. <laughs> I don't remember how exactly how he says it, but he's like something like in the birds in the sky. That's right. But uh, you know, Nick, AKA big baby moose, he has that line down perfectly. Uh, he needs to, he needs it's to a shame it. that we didn't have him on because he too does a pretty good Sean Connery impression. <laughs> That's so cool. Anyhow, um, man, we, I, re- you know what? We really need to do like a Sean Connery movie binge, uh, just to, to honor his legacy because they're all these movies we're listing are just awesome. They're, you, they're so good. You know, there's a movie that it was kind of a really 
sappy movie, but um, I saw a, a movie. It was called First Night with Sean Connery. I remember that. And the movie was actually kind of sucky. It wasn't that good. I think Richard Gere was in it, and uh, and and Sean Connery was playing King Arthur. But I remember, I don't remember anything really specific about the movie other than it had Sean Connery. And the reason I went to go see it was because Sean Connery. And I almost didn't really care how the movie was. I kind of knew it was going to be sappy, but I really didn't care. It was Sean Connery and yeah. he was on the big screen and therefore that was worth the price of admission for me. Yeah. Well, and I, yeah, I, I, he, it speaks volumes to his commanding screen presence. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, I know that you briefly mentioned just a little while ago, but what I think is is um, worthy of note is that his on-screen time in that movie is basically like Five maybe minutes, not yeah. even. I would say 60 seconds. <laughs> like, I mean, he he his line is basically like, hold, <laughs> I cannot allow this sweating to proceed. <laughs> Unless. Unless. I am willing to. Oh, no, no, I am able to give the bride away. You look ravishing, cousin. Not ravishing. I think it was radiant. Oh, maybe. Was it radiant? radiant, cousin. Oh, maybe it's radiant. Yeah, it's. I'll have to watch it again. It's either radiant (laughs) or ravishing. Friar, proceed. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But again, like, what I thought was so cool, I mean, first of all, that's a really fun movie. And, you know, it's, it's really funny, too, looking back how, like, Kevin Costner is the only, like, American in that entire movie. Like, he has an American accent. And, of course, Robin Hood Men in Tights pokes fun at that. Unlike other Robin Hoods, I have a British accent. <laughs> oh. <Ooh. Yeah. laughs> um, but, you know, when it came to the Robin Hood movie, such a great movie. And I think his scene at the end, it was almost like a, like a, a scene stealing moment because no one expected Sean Connery to be in the film. And then you see him, he looks awesome. Like him all decked out in that King Arthur uh, and his knights of the round table, you know, that, that whole thing. Um, I thought it was just a perfect way. It was like this little treat, little cameo treat uh, that that helped to send the outro just in a perfect, just a perfect way. I wonder how much you got paid for that 60 seconds. Oh, 60 yeah. seconds for $6 million. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be doing Sean Connery impressions the whole day. I shall consider the role that you have put in front of me for six million dollars. <laughs> not, not to mention that. Oh no, not, not, not dollars. Pounds. Pounds. Six million pounds. Yes. Please. Yes. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> a bunch. You know you want to. It'll make the movies a dazzling. I'm sure. I'm sure of it. You know this voice makes all the ladies weak in the knees. <laughs> That was awesome. <laughs> the Rock. Welcome to The Rock. That's when we saw Sean Connery and all the, the grunge, like the long hair. I've never seen Sean Connery like that before. Not, and that was the first time we also um, got to hear him sing. Uh, the, San Francisco. Yeah. Well, what's the, what, put a flower in your hair. I don't remember what the name Welcome of the song is. Welcome to San Francisco. Hello, At- room service. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> room service. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it was you a great moment. Snacks, yeah. Treats. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Oh, we need to watch that movie again too. That was so good. Well, and again, uh, like the, uh, a scene like that, you're watching Sean Connery taking a shower with long hair and singing that. John Patrick Mason was his character <laughs> from that other guy. In the show. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was so good. And like in his character, again, he, he was kind of going back to that rough and tumble um, type of character role, but more as more of an aged grizzly type, you know, um, what was, uh, uh, oh, I forgot his name. Well, the main character in the rock, uh, was, well, Nick Cage was in it. Ed Nick, Harris oh, yeah, was yeah, Nicholas yeah. Cage. Now so, that was the scene where he, that was one of the lines was him when he uh, approached the, um, Ed Harris and said, he goes, I don't, I'm going to say this wrong. He goes, I don't see how honoring the dead by sacrificing the living brings like any sort of like you know, yeah. remembrance or, or, or valor or something. Well, personally, General Sir, <laughs> I think you're an effing idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that oh, man, that's such a good movie. Oh my goodness. I'm, having, I'm only like, borrowing your Humvee. <laughs> I don't want any scratches. I don't want any dents in it. Okay. <laughs> oh man, I'm barely borrowing a Humvee. Oh, the, oh my gosh, there's so many good lines. We we really do need to do a binge. We do. Although I've seen that one recently, so that, that's going to be up to you to see it again. Well, you you what? You don't want to watch it again with me? I can watch it again as long as the volume's turned way up. Okay. That was there was a huge car. That was the car chase scene where Nick Cage steals the guy's Ferrari F three sixty and was running around through San Fran, which they filmed on location. By the way, they did. <laughs> it was freaking nuts. Yeah. So, what are your concluding thoughts about just um, remembering Sean Connery? Well, I think that uh, Sean offered the the confident charisma that not that is not. That's guys lacking in cinema today. A lot of folks tend to act their way, which is which kind of makes certain sense. But Sean Connery acted his way that was memorable. It didn't seem to kind of blend as much as a lot of other male actors do, and so therefore he was that made him an icon. So when you saw Sean Connery, yes, he was kind of Sean Connery in almost every single movie, but he was memorable. Like we appreciated Sean Connery for being Sean Connery. Mm. So, uh, I mean, you know, if, if you were to do an impression of like Daniel Craig, I don't know if you could really, you know, if you did that, people might go, oh, uh, um, you know, <laughs> and I love Daniel Craig as James Bond, but I mean, I could probably never do a Daniel Craig impression. Right. Yeah. The, there is a, a signature to the way he sounds, his acting style, the way he looks. I mean, he's an imposing person. Well, like, if you see him, I mean, he's very tall. What, what I, I was doing some, some research on him before he got into movies, he was actually quite poor. He really didn't have like some sort of big career at first. And he, he was kind of going from like small gig to small gig. He got into bodybuilding and he, he was a very handsome man. I mean, like you look at him and, and um, it, it's very impressive to see that. And then um, Bond was kind of like the first big like movie role that he got and um, was able to, to create that archetype, that character archetype um, that everybody has become very aware of. 
And I thought it was really interesting to, to see how um, his wife at the time would be on set during some of the James Bond stuff. So, so um, the, the, the Bond girls in those movies were always very appreciative of how aware Sean was of making sure that his wife was comfortable and, you know, take keeping on that, that, that professionalism in there, which is, is saying a lot because the character he was portraying was a playboy. Oh, yeah. he, he was someone who was very promiscuous doing all these different things. So it, it was neat to be able to see some of these articles where um, various folks who did work with him in these films were interviewed and talked about some of the, the off screen moments which I thought to be uh, touching. I think Sean Connery, I think he has or holds one of the records for the longest marriages in Hollywood. Yeah, I'm not, I don't, I can't comment on that. I don't know what the status of it is. I, I think he was married more than once. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't have the information. For me, I mean, Sean Connery is one of those, those staples of entertainment. I think that when I look to my childhood and growing up into uh, an adult, Sean Connery was always one of those, those actors who I knew it was going to be a fun ride when I saw his name attached to the project. And I think that you could probably count on one hand, those types of people who leave such a, a lasting impact on your life um, when it comes to acting and Sean Connery himself, I mean, he wasn't even necessarily someone who I could see as a chameleon actor necessarily, because he did tend to to play similar roles, even though there there are roles like like for instance him playing Indy's father that were um, a bit of a departure from what he normally would do. But I think one of the qualities that I really appreciated was was how he was unapologetically old school in terms of being a man's man. You know, in this day and age, you don't see often alpha male personas. That's going away. Yeah. You see more of the beta males. And I think, you know, even I would, I would put Harrison Ford in that category as well. Very alpha male. And I am thankful that I was able to grow up in a time where I got to celebrate um, the majority of Sean's work where, you know, we, we were not born when he first started as uh, James Bond. Uh, but, but luckily we're able to, to watch his, his, his earlier works. Having said that though, I mean, he was in plenty of films. His, his heyday, I would say was in the eighties and the nineties. Um, and I, I'm just, I'm so grateful that, that we got to be eighties kids because Sean Connery is one of those people who, really made a positive impact on pop culture and entertaining us all. And, and I think it's, it's fantastic that he was able to have a long life. I mean, he lived to 90 years old. That's a nice full life. And, um, you know, our condolences of course go out to his family because it's never easy to, to lose a loved one. And I'm just, man, like, I think it's, it's fantastic that, that we have, these contributions that he has made to entertainment and cinema and cinema in particular, and that, you know, we'll be able to, to show our kids and, and our grandkids actors like Sean Connery. So may he rest in peace. Uh, 
Make sure you tune in to next week. We want to wrap up this episode of Joygasm. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm, which is spelled J-O-Y-G-A-S-M, and consider becoming a monthly contributor. You'll get exclusive perks and early access to the show, not to mention it really helps us continue doing what we love to do. Also, you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. Last but not least, search Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We will see you all next week.